0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Lineup with Dave Prodan. I'm Dave Prodan, and this is episode 166. The world title-deciding Rip Curl WSL Finals has run at lower trestles, and when the dust settled between the five best men's and women's surfers of the season, it was Brazil's Felipe Toledo going back-to-back to claim his second world title and Florida's Caroline Marks claiming her first. Awesome day of surfing, great finish to the year, and there is plenty to talk about. All right, episode 166. We are back with my part-time co-host for this season where we run through winners and losers from the Rip Curl WSL Finals. We get bold predictions for next season's Vistla CT Shaper rankings. We answer listener questions and much more. We had a lot of fun on this podcast and hope you do too. Please enjoy the lineups conversation with myself and Mitch Salazar.
1: The good old clap take one. That's right. How many of you knew what you wanted to be when you were seven years old? I did. I wanted
0: to be a world champion. Hey, is there honesty involved in this podcast? Can we be honest? We can shut your f***ing And then I'll just say, put him up once. Let's go. He's like, you look too pretty on the wave. Get ugly. We can talk about DMT if you want. I thought you were boxing. All right, we are back with the lineup podcast. I'm Dave Prodan here with my part-time co-host for this season, Mitch Salazar. And Mitch, just like that, the 2023 WSL Championship Tour season is over. The Rip Curl WSL Finals at Lower Trestles are completed. We have this year's world champions back to back for Felipe Toledo and the very first for Caroline Marks. Mitch, we were both on the ground at the event. We both witnessed it in person. It's been a few days since uh, the dust settled. So, so how are you feeling? What what were what were your impressions being there for the day?
1: Well, I would have to say, Dave, one of the greatest days of surfing I've ever seen in competitive history. Uh, I mean, the performances we saw, the waves were on fire, and I actually thought that, you know, having that hurricane swell was actually a bit cooler to see at lower trestles. Having it not be super perfect the entire time, uh, a lot of beach break kind of different approaches, and when I say a beach break approach, they definitely had to be scouring and hunting for these waves out there. I especially noticed it in the two final matches afterwards in between Caroline Marks and Carissa Moore, and then Felipe and Ethan, but what a day, Dave. A couple of great performances, a new world champion on the women's side after we had seen the dominance from stephanie gilmore tyler red and carissa moore since 2007 we have our first goofy foot world champ on the women's side since chelsea Georgeson in 2005 her name is caroline marks
0: it's pretty awesome the weather cooperated for the whole day and while the rip curl wsl finals is the definitive uh, experience and platform for winners and losers. We have our own segment of winners and losers. We've been doing this every episode with you and I this season. So, Mitch, why don't you kick us off? Who who is your first loser from this last event of the CT season?
1: It's pretty easy to me, Dave. I think it's the format opposers. Um, you know, it's the third time we've mm-hmm. had this event now. The Ripko WSL Finals at Lower Trestles. I thought it was one of the most significant days in surfing history. We have our first Brazilian back-to-back world champion on the men's side in Felipe Toledo. And what a dominant performance we saw from him. But I just thought the feeling of being there for a finals day with great waves on after with a lot of consistency out there in the water, and the crowd really showed up. Everybody wanted Griffin Pinto to win. As you noticed, Dave, as soon as he lost, I would say that the beach went absolutely quiet, but then they erupted once Felipe was crowned world champion for the second time in a row. But yeah, those people that are still opposing the format, I think this gives us a real good chance to see some competitive matches and heats in terms of a finals day with consequence too. and especially when we have significant waves like the ones that we saw in finals day Dave I'm all for Mm -hmm. it I hope we get to see it next season again what about yourself?
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I think this is the third year of the Rip Curl WSL Finals format and it is, it's a significant departure from how we crowned world champions for for decades. So people that liked it one way and maybe aren't on board um, with the new thing, that makes total sense. But I kind of agree with you. I think from an entertainment standpoint and from a surfing performance standpoint, I think this was the best year. Uh, I think it was so clean. I think the fans on the beach, I think the fans online, I think the competitors. In the event, they understood the rhythms of this format better than they have the past two seasons. We saw it in the water. We saw it outside the water. It was it was really really cool. And uh, you know, for my first loser, you know, I think it's kind of difficult to pick one. You know, I'm I'm averse to kind of naming any losers for surfers that are associated with this event um, just because they've made it this far, but. That said, you know, the opening one for me is probably just that first half of the opening heat of the day. It was match one with Oceanside's Caitlin Simmers up against Australia's Molly Picklem. You know, they both sat for. A long time. And and as I said, you and I were down there in person. I'm not sure if this translated to broadcast because I saw a few comments about people going, Oh, wow, the ocean's really gone quiet. The ocean was not quiet. There were so (laughs) many waves coming through as soon as the bell rang. And these two kind of froze up. You know, I don't know what it was. It could have been the format. They're both very young. It could have just been the newness of this for them. But These are 35-minute heats. The very first wave of that opening match wasn't ridden until the 1741 mark. So, almost 20 minutes of good waves rolling in. And, uh, yeah, I I think these two young surfers we mentioned, it's their first time at the finals. And we've seen how it's impacted first-time competitors in the past. But you know Molly ends up only riding 3 waves. She banked a couple sixes. Caitlin also only rode 3 waves collecting a 7 and an 8 in her score line, but both of them could have had so much opportunity with 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 how much the ocean was delivering and you know Molly moved from 4th to 5th on the year-end rankings. Katie who arguably had one of the scarier points of difference in her wave riding approach, you know, across the entire draw, she ended up going down to eventual world champion Caroline Marks in the next match. So For me, I think there's a lot more to come from both of them.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And especially as you were mentioning uh, 35-minute heats, we actually got a text uh, from one of our tours and competition heads, Henado Hickel, the day before, mentioning that all matches were going to be 35-minute heats and there were going to be absolutely no restarts. When I saw that the day before, I knew that our chances of running on Saturday were going to be extremely high. But I really like that approach to competition because it forces the surfers to have to go for it. And especially... that. Let's be very clear right here. There was priority established at the beginning of that heat. Mm. All all surfers knew in the first match that the number four seed was going to have priority over the number five seed. If you notice, Dave, Katie Simmers was actually surfing and sitting outside of Molly Picklem, which I was extremely surprised by. There were a lot of lefts coming through on the inside. They were sitting way too far outside. I just think at that point, nobody wanted to give in. And uh, unfortunately, it actually went against Molly Picklem. In this point, I actually feel that priority was a curse for her. Um, You Mm -hmm. know, moves from number four to number five. But still, that's a great result in your second season on the championship tour. Now going to my second loser. Speaking of people that actually move back spots too, it's the women's top seats. Um, Both Tyler Wright and Carissa Moore, I felt like they had a real good chance of winning Other world championships here at Lower Trestles, I thought the waves were on offer for them. And at Disposition, too, the free surfs going into them were real uh, real good. I thought the practice session on Friday was great for them, too. But what I will say is that it was very important for them to get into rhythm since they were surfing against people that had already had surfed at least one match before them. Tyler Wright had a couple of good waves early on in her matchup against Caroline Marks. Wasn't really able to get the rhythm that she needed. And I think in terms of Carissa Moore, that's two years in a row now where she just hasn't been able to get anything better than a 15-point heat total, Dave. So unfortunately for her, she has to end up runner-up in the world. But as we saw from Caroline Marks, it almost seems like you want to be surfing a few more matches before you make it into the finals.
0: It's a good point, you know, and it kind of dovetails into to my second loser from the finals. And again, I'm going to caveat this with my prior point. It's very hard to pick losers in this event. And uh, for my second one, you know, she is a five-time world champion. She's an Olympic gold medalist and a qualifier for Paris 2024. She's regarded as one of the all-time greats. This is the antithesis of a loser. However... You know, Carissa's performances in the past three years of this finals format as the number one seeded surfer have been well below her potential. You know, even in year one, even when she beat Tatiana and won the world title, she looked kind of shaky. You know, in the last two years, it's been the same and it, and it stung her once again here. And, you know, this isn't an original thought, you know, there's plenty of pundits out there that have speculated that she doesn't do well when she's the target and she would likely actually be better off coming into this format as the number five surfer instead of the number one surfer. But yeah, I think have to call that out, you know, her performances over three years of a sample size in this format as the number one seated surfer, you know, it's an area that she can improve.
1: No doubt at all. And I think especially when you looked at the waves, too, you had to be thinking that she was going to drop at least a couple of sevens per heat, right? And it just seemed to me in the second matchup, she didn't have the sense of urgency. Both her and Caroline were maybe battling a bit too much for positioning, and they actually let a lot of waves go in the first 15 minutes of the heat. That match actually didn't even get started until the 20-minute mark. So unfortunately for Carissa, that's two years back-to-back, which is going to have to settle for runner-up in the world after being the number one seed. And you know, talking about people that I thought were going to have a much strong performance. Not to say that it wasn't strong. Uh, my third loser is actually the San Clemente hype. Because mm-hmm. I felt the Griffin Colopinto going into the event as the number two seed, having everybody there surrounding him, the crowd in his favor, the waves on offer, and the practice sessions and the free surfing ahead of time before the event. I thought he was easily one of the better surfers in the entire draw. Goes down to Ethan Ewing in the last match before the finals, Dave. And, you know, good performance, almost getting to the 16-point mark, but I just felt there was a lot more meat on the bone from him. I felt like there was too much anticipation by everybody else outside of him wanting him to win the world championship. It almost felt like he had thought that he had won his first world title before it even happened. So um, unfortunately for Griffin, Griffin he's going to have to settle with number three this year. I think he's got a long way to go next year, though. I think we're going to see multiple event wins from him. And I still think that he has the chance to be the first Californian to win a world championship in over 30 years. It's a great point.
0: And I think on on the Griffin front, I don't think we've ever had any singular surfer have to perform with so much hype in this format, right? It's in his hometown. There were premieres every night. There's Matthew McConaughey, like (laughs) voiced Quicksilver ads. Like it was, it was wild. And, Griffin, I think what's been so surprising about his ascension over the last couple of years, and he's talked about it, you know, he and his brother, they're working with Troy Eckert on the mental game. He's really mentally sharp, you know, and and I think that he performed awesome. It definitely wasn't a flop. And I just felt like he dealt with all that energy so, so well, even when he lost, he came in and, you know, he was bummed. He was very gracious, you know, he very appreciative of everyone that turned up and that's not an easy thing to do for anybody yet. yet, Yeah. Let alone someone that's so early on in their career. So props to him, but, but we'll get to it. I think in the winners, he, for as good as he served, did not have an answer for, for Ethan Ewing, Mm -hmm. you know, my, uh, my third and final loser, um, you may spit your coffee out on this one, Mitch, but (laughs) it is uh, it's the lowers left. Now, now Mitch, You're a goofy footer, I'm a goofy footer. On the rare occasion that I surf lowers, I I almost exclusively hunt those medium and inside (laughs) left-handers as they seem to be easier pickings for me. Um, But, uh, you know, especially in recent years, I've become more and more convinced that the left may be a little bit fraudulent. Um, Will I still surf it? Yes. Can people still (laughs) tear the bag out of it? Absolutely yes. Is this a particularly profound take? No. Uh, But compared to the right, I just don't think it's as balanced a scoring platform. You know, we saw a few folks go left, but the bulk of these excellent scores are happening on the right. You know, I don't think we've seen an excellent score on the left since probably Gabriel. You know, in year one, um, and that dude can get excellent scores anywhere. Um, and that's not to say that Lowers isn't a great venue; that it it doesn't have a lot of scoring opportunities in both directions. But I do think the the excellent scores, which let's face it, if you're there on finals day. You have to be getting excellent scores or you're going home they're almost exclusively on the rights for the world's best surfers
1: yeah it's a good point and i i mean you're hunting those lefts all waiting very long dave and even the the lead-up days before the event started too and i was even surfing the lefts for the most part too just because there's easier access to get back outside too but with the ski assist this year, for the first time, by the way, I think it's really important that we point that out because that actually mm. benefited Caroline Marks a lot. She didn't have to do the paddle back around that much. Ski assist was huge for a lot of these people, especially for the people who were crowned world champions. But the left is a very intricate wave. It's a wave that you have to take certain angles at. And mm. I think case in point, last year when it was a bit smaller, it benefited Italo style a lot more than everybody else. Yes, he wasn't posting those nines that we saw from Felipe, even eights but those sevens were getting in through heats, especially when you're mm. comparing them to the rights where there's maybe a lot more wall to work with certain sections on the left, maybe stand up a bit more, but you do need to get there in time and you need to be able to perform under pressure too. So it all depends on your style. And I think the kind of swell direction that we did see in the water too, I felt like it was benefiting the rights a bit more, um, transitioning to the winners. Now, Dave, I actually think, um, you know, some of the best winners I've seen in a long time, um, first one is an easy one it's going to be our men's world champion two-time world champion back-to-back Felipe Toledo the adopted homeboy that crowd erupted when he won a second world champion I love that he is a man of his family he went straight to his family after he was crowned the second time world champion and he is just one of the greatest human beings on planet earth um, if you heard his victory speech during the award ceremony he was hyping up Caroline more than he was hyping up himself and um mm. you know this guy works hard I had to I have to say that he had the most consistent year of his career during the regular season. That performance at Jeffries Bay was incredible. I thought El Salvador was great. And I think Sunset Beach was his biggest victory over Griffin Colopinto. But the consistency led to him being the number one seed in back-to-back years. He's the only surfer on the men's side to make it to the final matches in all three editions of the Rip Curl WSL Finals, Dave.
0: It's a great point. I have a feeling our our winners are going to be very, very similar (laughs) because my very first one was uh, Felipe as well. I thought you said it perfectly. You know, and, and I mean, let's be clear. The whole point of our winners and losers segment this season is that these are meant to be a little more editorial than just your straight results at each event. And as such... We haven't really had Felipe in here that much. You know, he's referenced a lot. You know, Ethan winning will get or sorry, Ethan Ewing will get a, a, a winning spot from us, you know, at J Bay for supplanting Jordy Smith as the guy to watch out there. But then Felipe ends up winning the event and we almost grade him on a slightly different scale on the editorial side. And yeah. the truth is he's just he's a cut above, if not several cuts above. Every other surfer on tour in most waves on the planet. And that is really incredible. And of course, you know, as he's admitted, he needs to develop another gear of comfort at venues like Pipeline and Chopu. But I I, you know, just as taking my WSL hat off or all my WSL hats off for a second, um, you know, I really do think that the public criticism around that regarding him is is kind of borderline hyperbolic these days. I think he's a really capable surfer at Pipeline and Backdoor. And I think he will only get better there and at Chopu in the future. He's just, he's so talented. And as I said, in every other venue on the planet, rights, lefts, point breaks, beach breaks, reef breaks, he's pretty much unstoppable when he's on his game as he was at this year's Rip Curl WSL Finals. Back to back, number one seed, to finish the regular CT season. Back-to-back wins at the Rip Curl WSL Finals and well-deserved back-to-back world titles for Felipe Toledo. Just really incredible stuff.
1: Yeah, and uh, I love that you bring up the point that everybody's super critical on him when it comes to heavy waves and stuff like that. We all remember what happened against him uh, versus Jack Robinson at the box a few years ago at Jack's home break. And I mean, he didn't even catch a wave. You know, he came Mm -hmm. in without catching a wave. He knew that he wasn't going to have a single chance of beating Jack in those kind of conditions, especially at home. But, um, you know, he also picked his poison this year. Pipeline wasn't that big, and he knew that. He still got a good result. He was one of the best surfers. I actually thought he had a pretty good shot of winning on finals day, but things didn't go his way in terms of rhythm. Kind of shuts everybody up over at Sunset Beach. That's a heavy wave. It's a very difficult wave to surf. You're riding a much larger board. And he actually lost the opening exchange to Griffin Pinto in that final. Ended up winning. Then you go mm-hmm. to Tahiti. He's the number one seed. He's leading by a long shot. Why in hell would you go for something that is unnecessary? Why would you put yourself at risk of not even surfing at the Ripko WSL Finals, getting another world championship? Look at what happened to Ethan Ewing. I mean, mm-hmm. and that was during a free surfing session on a four-foot wave. So if there's a risk for that to happen... You don't take that kind of risk if you can avoid it, Dave. And I think as of right now, he's understanding that that format is beneficial to him. He's taking advantage of it, and I think he deserves a lot of props because going into the event number one seed, look at what happened to Carissa. That's two years back-to-back. You lose at the number one seed. That is – it's horrible. It feels horrible. But he understood the assignment. He's got two world championships in a row. And that leads to my second winner, Our first goofy footer in 18 years, the one on the women's side, it's Caroline Marks. We got to say she's an adopted Californian by now, uh, representing Florida and the United States, though. Huge victory for her, without a doubt, the best surfer on finals day. And she used the rights to her advantage, Dave. Her backhand looked as good as ever. She found a rhythm just barely squeaked by Caitlin Simmers in that second matchup during finals day. But guess what? That gave her a slot into Paris 2024, and it eventually got her to be world champion for 2023.
0: I I said we were going to be lockstep on this, and my second winner was Caroline Marks. You know, duh, she blitzed the field, she halted Katie Simmers, she dispatched Tyler Wright, and just as you said, flat out bested Carissa in the opening two heats for the world title. You know, and I don't... I don't think the scoreline actually reflected the truth out there. You know, Carissa, to me, just never felt like she was even in it against Caroline. Um, I, I ended up in the athlete area And I kind of got stranded there after Griffin's loss because of the San Clemente sort of masses out there. And, um, you know, I I was hanging out before the first uh, women's match went down and I didn't have eyes on Carissa. But Caroline was just kind of cruising on the couch with her coach, Luke Egan, during the 10 minute break. And when she got up to head downstairs for her heat. Mike Parson kind Mike Parsons kind of rallied and clapped and went, "Let's go, Caroline!" And without missing a beat, she shot back and was just like, "I'm so effing psyched!" And then just like ran downstairs. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh my god! Like she's <laughs> gonna like rip someone's head off!" And and it really showed, right? Like 21 years old. 2023 world champion, as you pointed out, first goofy footed world champ since uh, women's world champ since Chelsea Hedges in 2005, um, and the first Floridian world champ since Lisa Anderson in 1997. So, you know, congratulations to her and her whole team. It's a huge achievement.
1: 100 percent and uh you know it was great to see another goofy footer on the podium especially as the world champion the only goofy footer in the event by the way combined men's and women so out of the 10 surfers the only surfer with the right foot forward and it was an, an accomplished dream especially after what she went through last year and you know after having all these health issues she's back 100 mm-hmm. percent. it was great to see her at an adopted home break of lower trestles get a victory the most important one of her of her career she's going to be an olympian for the second time now going into tahiti which is an event she won this last regular season, too. Dave, I'm gonna give you the pleasure of introducing our number one winner for this event because we both have it. <laughs> and, and and, and, <laughs> and go, go ahead, because you know we love this guy. He deserves it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, Ethan Ewing, my God. It was uh you mentioned it already, but like such a massive bummer when the news broke that he'd hurt himself in the warm-up for Tahiti and he pulled out of that event. And there was So much drama around replacement conversations with Medina, et cetera. And the whole time, Ethan was quietly rehabilitating and getting himself to a place where he could perform. And when we got word that he was traveling to the U.S. to try and compete, I think we were all a little bit shocked and even skeptical. You know, would this be a diminished Ethan? And it wasn't, um, (laughs) at least not demonstrably. He was so strong and so sharp. He, he took down Zhao. He overpowered Griffin. And I think that first match with Felipe, it's probably the heat of the year, if not yes. more. Um, yes. You know, in the end, I think Felipe's arsenal was too much and, and he certainly took a well-deserved title. But credit to Ethan. I think he is the number one Australian male uh, contender at the moment. And if he gets better in this offseason, if he develops a few more weapons in and around that unbelievable power base. Um, it's going to be awesome to watch.
1: Absolutely. The people's champ, as I'd like to call him for this. I actually owe Ethan a huge apology because on our post tahiti episode, I said that his heat was actually going to be a freebie. We didn't know. I mean, I was just speculating at the moment. He had two broken vertebrae. I was thinking, okay, this kid's probably not even going to be able to stand up on a surfboard. I spoke to his dad, Bill, on Friday. Um, the first day of the waiting period, he was free surfing. We had We had the event called off. He was like, oh, yeah, Mitch, how do you see Ethan? You know, during the practice session yesterday, I was like, he looked amazing. He was actually the standout out of everybody. And we're talking about Felipe, who's the Mm -hmm. best out here. And he's like, oh, you're not just saying that, are you? I was like, no, he looked for real. And as soon as he stood up for the first wave against Joao and there was a huge mismatch right there, I just felt, Okay, he's going all the way. He's going all the way to the finals and it's going to be a tough matchup for Felipe over completely overpowers Griffin. I thought there was a huge difference. I mean, you look yep. at the point total, 17 points to 15.96. I even yep. thought the spread could have been a little higher, to be honest. But he dropped a few XN scores during the day, had multiple 17-point-plus heats. And the, I agree, that first heat against Felipe might be one of the greatest matchups I've seen ever. I mean, one of the yep. all-time great heats. And um, his stock, to me, personally, went up through the roof. I think it's one of the best performances I've seen during a single day of surfing in competitive history, Dave.
0: It was awesome. Well, that's it. That was the third incarnation of the Rip Curl WSL Finals, and that was our winners and losers from that event. We're going to take a quick break to get a word in from our sponsors, and we'll come right back. WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Brothys, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow grow with shopify sign up for a one dollar per month trial period at shopify.com lineup all lowercase go to shopify.com lineup now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash lineup All right, we are back. This is the Lineup Podcast. I'm Dave Prodan here with Mitch Salazar. So we wrap the 2023 Visla CT Shaper rankings with the completion of the regular CT season in Tahiti, and San Clemente's Matt Biolas and Mayhem Surfboards finished the season on top, claiming the 2023 CT Shaper of the Year title. Pilot year for the program and some interesting trends that you and I got to discuss throughout the season, Mitch. And the way things broke down at the Rip Curl WSL Finals essentially mirrored one through five on the Visla CT Shaper rankings in 2023. You know, Mayhem had women's number one and number two in Caroline and Carissa, as well as men's number three in Griffin. Sharpie had the men's winner in Felipe and the men's number five in Jack Robinson. DHD had the men's runner up and the women's number five in Ethan Ewing and Molly Picklam. Paisel took women's number three in Tyler Wright. Channel Islands, men's number four in Xianka, And Chris Borst had women's number four in Caitlin Simmers. Now, Mitch, did you have any observations from your very keen eyes in terms of equipment going down at this event at Lower Trestles?
1: A lot of swallowtails, Dave. I like to see mm. the resurgence of that. Uh, when I actually asked uh, Matt Biolas during the U.S. Open you know, why a lot of people are riding so many swallowtails nowadays. It's like, they're basically two round pins, you know? So there's a lot of control that you can have out there, but you're still having that progressiveness progressiveness factor. So it's just Mm -hmm. a little looser than a round pin tail, but it still has the same amount of control. We saw it from Felipe. um, On the women's side, sorry, I'm getting my notes here. We saw it with... Uh, Tyler, I believe, during the free surfs, Katie rode one during the free surfs too, and then uh, Joao was riding one too. Um, mm-hmm. So I saw a lot of Swallowtails, obviously the use of the round pin is still huge, but um, to be honest, despite how good Ethan Ewing looked, I felt like he could have been riding a little bit of a longer board, maybe just mm-hmm. a half an inch or an inch. I feel like there were some times where maybe that's why he was having such a hard time beating Felipe too. Maybe drawing out those arcs a little bit more might have been a bit more beneficial, especially adding a little bit of variation at the end of those maneuvers. But all in all, high performance surfboards are going through the roof right now. I thought sharp eyes boards looked as great as always, but you got to give props to Mayhem again. He had both finalists on the women's side, and if it weren't for Yagodora just slightly missing out right there, he would have had two surfers in the men's final five.
0: You know, one of the things that I was um, obsessed with and uh, understandably upset that not the entire world wasn't as obsessed as I was is the board that Felipe won the 2022 world title on was that dark arts vacuum bag carbon fiber quad, Mm -hmm. which is a real departure from your standard thruster Ferrari. Now, he didn't ride that one this year. He had it in the quiver. He opted for I think a round pin thruster. You know, Mitch, wh- what do you think the thinking was in terms of deciding on, you know, the round pin thruster for this year's conditions versus that um carbon uh quad for last year's conditions?
1: Yeah, it's an excellent question because he actually wrote that the first year when he made mm. the finals against Gabe and it was around the similar size it was just as big I, I felt I think it was just a, a sense of commodity for him he had mm. maybe ridden that board a bit too much and he was thinking to himself that it was going to be that board that he wrote in the two final matchups against Ethan that he felt the most comfortable with but during the free surfs and especially during the practice session I thought the sharp eye times dark arts carbon fiber was great um, In in the end it just came down to him you know, feeling more confident on a single board. But I think if he would have ridden that board, the result probably still would have been the same. But as you notice, the nine-point ride that he had in the first exchange against Ethan Ewing in the first matchup, that was a wave with just one carve and a straight air. It right. was that round tail that I think gave him the added finish to be able to control the board, especially with the size of the wave, too. Waves really picked up during the final. I felt like it peaked during the, that time of the day. But, um, yeah, in the end, it was, it was definitely an odd choice because I felt like... Leading up to it, he was going to ride it again, especially since Mm. he wrote it in 2021 when conditions were almost the same.
0: Obviously it worked. And I guess this is neither here nor there, but I thought it was such an interesting moment in his second match against Ethan Ewing. You know, Ethan had been surfing the Darren Hanley all day. He looked unbelievable. That board Mm -hmm. looked fantastic. But at the very end, there was an exchange where Ethan got the first wave, and buckled his board. I think there was just a few minutes left. He was still down. He still needed a score. I think he needed like a six or a seven. But he lost priority because he had to take the ski in and change boards. And that really changed the tone in the dying minutes of that men's final because Felipe held priority. I don't think there was really that many waves that came through. But... It it definitely changed the tone. I'm wondering if you picked up on that when you were watching it in the booth.
1: For sure. I mean, that's when Felipe got his backup score and he was able Mm. to move way far out in front and remember during that second matchup too they actually waited a long time they were actually out of position for one set I think if Ethan would have been in position for that set and started off with a seven maybe even going excellent that matchup actually goes to him I don't think there was enough time for both of them to get two excellent scores after that so unfortunately they were just a little bit out of position but it's that cat and mouse game Carissa and Caroline were playing it too Yeah.
0: Well, we have a few months to review, you know, the Vistla CT Shaper Rankings Program, consider updates potentially for next year, but that's also a few months for the shapers and the surfers to make moves as well. So Mitch, more than almost anyone I know, probably more than anyone I know, why am I couching it with almost? You have your ear to the ground on what's happening in these surfer-shaper relationships. And I would like to get a few bold predictions from you in this arena for the 2024 WSL Championship Tour season.
1: Like, when you sent out this outline the other day and I was reading through it, this was the one section that I was kind of afraid of because
0: <laughs> I knew that it was a question Make like this was going to come up. Make some enemies. Come on, Mitch.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I knew something like this was going to come up, especially after we saw all the shapers there. I saw Darren. there, <laughs> and I hung out with Brick quite a bit and Brent Power from Channel Islands, the team manager, too. And obviously, I saw Matt, but, um, you know, I think... The biggest prediction for me is that Joao's relationship with Britt and everybody from CI is just going to increase. Mm. They've really developed a great relationship with him. And, I mean, they were hands-on for two weeks down there. Britt came down. He was down here for almost two weeks. Same thing with Brent. He was away from his family. And they were really focusing on the boards that Joao needed for this event. Case in point, It worked. Because he beat Jack Robinson in the first matchup with a strong performance. Was doing well against Ethan until he just got comboed afterwards. But in a span of 48 hours, after Joao selected one of the boards that he was using during the warm-ups, he said, this is the one. They made eight boards for him in a span of 48 hours. Out of those eight boards, he actually took down four of them for finals day and rode the one eventually to a fourth-place finish in 2023. I think a prediction for me is that C.I. and João Xianca, they're going to come out with a few more original models, like the one he was riding here at this event. And I think we're going to see C.I. surfboards expand a lot more in Brazil too and in South America, Dave.
0: That's interesting. I I, I think uh, one thing to note about João, this was his first full year on the mm-hmm. championship tour, right? He was on last year. He fell off at the mid-year cutoff and he finished fourth. Do you want to know who the last surfer on the men's tour to finish fourth in the world was with just one full year under their belt?
1: Uh, Was it 2000s or 90s? Am I going back too far? That's too far. Okay, go ahead. Hit me with it.
0: Uh, Just a little surfer by the name of John John Florence. John John Florence came on at the mid-year mark in 2011 surfed a few events and then his first full year in 2012 finished fourth in the world so pretty good company for zhao Shianka to be in what's your next bold prediction in the the surfer shaper space for next season
1: okay i saw marcio suvi down there from sharp by surfboards um i think that sharp by surfboards they're going to decrease their team by a Mm. decent number um I don't wanna say five or six surfers. I think it's gonna be two or three surfers. (laughs) Can make a lot of surfers nervous. They're gonna be like, Holy crap. (laughs) But two or three surfers when you look at the people that they have on tour, that's a good chunk, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think those two or three surfers are gonna pick up get picked picked up by somebody else i especially think that channel lions is going to have to sign at least one more person on either the men's or the women's side but uh yeah i think Sharpie surfboards they're going to have some cuts i just think that there's not enough personal attention to certain wow. surfers especially towards the back end i think that opens up the door for a lot of the smaller sapers or resurging brands like channel on surfboards and maybe even Borst. you know Borst is in company with just caitlin simmers the boards obviously work Mm -hmm. Why not go for a shaper that's smaller? Courtney Conlog was on Stamps for the entire time. She was on the CT, too. It obviously works. And having an intimate relationship with with your shaper, and especially as a good surfer like Tim Stamps or Chris Borst, I think that relationship could go a long way.
0: I think that's an interesting one. I mean, we've been talking about all season, you know, they they had the biggest team. And I think a lot of people were like, well, you know, the Shaper ranking should just have like one or two of the top performing surfers. But what that doesn't reflect is that a good chunk of the best surfers on the planet are choosing to go to this program. Right, yes. And I think that that's important to reflect in this. Like we're just, we're not being subjective here. We're just kind of creating an expression of data. And the data said that over the last few years, a huge majority of the world's best surfers have sought out Sharp Eye and it's benefited them to, to great degrees. I think it's an interesting call. I think it's the natural thing for things to kind of level out. I'm curious if you think that if there is any movement on the Sharp Eye program, is it going to come from A, Sharp eye saying, look, we're going to focus on a smaller team, thanks so much, or is it going to come from B, other programs going to their program and saying, we, we're we going to pull you away?
1: I think B, um, mm. because unless you're one of the top-tier surfers, you're still paying a certain chunk of money for the boards. I mean, it's not right. that you're paying $600 for each board. I mean, that's still a lot of money, but if you're paying 350 you know, 280 something like that per board... Say you're ordering 10 boards for a three month period out of the year, that's still a good chunk of money that you're spending just on surfboard equipment. So, if somebody offers you a contract and says, Hey, you know, you're going to be on our team, we're going to give you free boards, and you're going to have direct attention to your shaper, it would be hard for me to pass that up, even as a CT surfer. You're getting direct attention. You're getting talked to every single day, or at least on a weekly basis, to be able to work on boards and equipment. I'd say yes to that all day long, especially if it came from a good manufacturing program like Channel Islands.
0: I like it. Any other bold predictions before we move on to our our next segment regarding the uh, Vistla CT Shaper rankings for 2024?
1: I would not be surprised to see a big shakeup when it comes to the rankings next year, because As I just mentioned with the equalizer, if people are moving around, I think there's certain teams that are going to be a bit more leveled. And more importantly, I think it's going to be a lot more leveled on the women's side, too. For Sharp Eye, that's really been the most difficult aspect for them. If it weren't for Tatiana, Wesson Webb, and Joanna Faye, they wouldn't really have any kind of competition whatsoever. But they mm. need to get results. Channel Islands, Lakey Peterson had a victory over at jeffrey's bay i think they need to get at least one more surfer out of the championship tour surfers that they have right now and i think for the smaller brands keep working with katie simmers Pizel, you both have tyler wright and john john florence will you just be depending on them to to be able to get some good results because obviously they now know that it's competitive and they like to compete among each other and there's a there's a day at the surf ranch on the line too people so get a free day <laughs> oh, at the surf ranch that's pretty cool
0: an overnight stay and surf at the surfer edge but okay. yeah for sure i mean it, and it was so much fun I, rich i really appreciate you helping me out with this program it was the first year we did it and i mean it, uh, to just as a surfer just personally like a huge honor even just to see you know matt Biolis, marcio zuvi you know brendan leckie from sharp eye in australia darren hanley john Pizel, and Britt merrick All there on finals day all you know cheering their surfers on and they even sent us a photo with all five of them which I thought was really cool I'm like look at you guys playing nice in the sandbox so a lot of fun I can't wait to chop it up uh, next year we're gonna take one more quick break and then we will be right back Manduka was founded in 1997 with the simple idea that a better yoga mat could make a world of difference For generations, Manduka has revolutionized the yoga space by providing purposely crafted products that enable a more joyful practice, whatever that looks like for you. The collaboration between Manduka and Jerry Lopez honors Jerry's profound dedication to both surfing and yoga disciplines. The limited edition collection showcases jerry's signature camouflage print inspired by his surfboards it fuses his iconic surf style with manduka's commitment to quality and sustainability offering everyone a unique expression of their practice we all know that having the right gear is essential and a yoga mat is no different feel the benefits of yoga with manduka's soulfully engineered eco-friendly products designed to inspire your practice wherever you go the Manduka and Jerry Lopez collection want to inspire you to practice yoga, however you choose to. And from now until June 10th, you will get 15% off of all products when you visit manduka.com with the code the lineup 15. That's manduka.com code the lineup 1515.
1: Welcome back, everybody, to The Lineup Pod. I'm Mitchell Salazar, alongside the greatest host of a surfing podcast out there, Dave Prodan. And Dave, remember, if everybody listening, we don't get to your question this time, you can always write us at The Lineup Pod. And if we, you know, do get to your answer and you do get a great answer... You got to thank Dave Prodan and our obviously our producer, Miguel Clemente, who has been <laughs> okay. awesome all year long. Need to get him out there because he's been a huge part of our success. But of course, the fans, as always, we really appreciate you guys. So our first question, Dave, from at Shapeshifters Mag. How do you feel about Sianka's style of surfing? I love it. <laughs> I, I love it, too. I mean, I think... Uh, I remember, I think a
0: couple of years ago when the Challenger Series season finished at Haleiwa was the first time I really noticed Zhao in kind of more high performance waves. And I, it was a really good field at that contest. And Zhao, he just looked faster than everyone and was just so on rail. And I think we've just seen him develop over the last few years. He obviously charges. He's a fantastic tube rider. I think he gets a bit of his uh, big wave credentials from his brother. Um, But I just think he's such a good all around surfer. He's so strong. He's so fast. And I I think we've been saying it all year. You know, what we've noticed with this Rip Curl WSL finals format over the last few years is that the new surfers, the young surfers, sometimes they kind of melt under the spotlight. It's a really different kind of energy. There's so much attention on it. And I thought he elevated. I thought he served fantastic. I Mm -hmm. thought he looked calm and loose. And I really felt like he had some competitive weapons against a really gnarly field.
1: I I thought he served great. What what about you, Mitch? I thought he served great too. And I think um, the team over at Channel Islands had... a big thing in their mind when they handpicked this kid to kind of like be the forefront of their program, too. I think they knew what they were doing, and it's obviously worked out, too. He's number four in the world in in just his first full season because the first one wasn't able to make the mid-year cut despite having a couple of great heats against John John Florence. But as you said, he's a well-rounded surfer, get everywhere obviously we can see what he can do in the barrel too but you know he's going into the olympics too and i actually think that formatting right there is very beneficial to him i'm really excited Mm. to see him compete in tahiti um but i think overall i'm a huge fan of him i like to see him surf bigger waves i think that he can improve a bit with just calming down a little bit we did see it a Mm. lot here at the finals but um Overall, in big heats, I think there's still a little bit of a necessity for him to relax a bit more. But I mean, if that's my only critique, he's doing quite well. Um, our second question day from at Norbel R. What do you think was the biggest miss from Ethan, truly power surfing at its best?
0: I mean, this is a good question. I, I, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head a little bit in our prior segment. Maybe. And I don't know if this is the answer or not, but, but maybe, as you said, a little bit longer board, which maybe would have allowed him to emphasize his power surfing even more mm. and create a little bit of variation there. I mean, I think we talked about he, he, he outmatched Zhao Shianka, who looked great. And then against Griffin, I think he and Griffin were really trying to go power for power. And Griffin is one of the best power surfers on the planet. And he just had no answer. For Ethan. I think Ethan's strength and his technique and his boards, that the the amount of spray that was being thrown on similar section was just night and day. And I think similar to Nor Beller's question, I think the answer for someone like Griffin against Ethan was that Griffin really needed to loose the fins and go to the air probably earlier in that match mm. to create a point of difference. I think Griffin is so well-rounded that he probably thought, well, I'm just gonna. I'm going to surf to whatever the section I get. And it was a lot of rail surfing and a lot of power surfing. But I think, you know, if he could rewind the tape on that, he probably would have had a different approach. With Ethan against Felipe, I think going back to your answer, Mitch, is the right one. Knowing that probably no surfer on the planet and no surfer in history can (laughs) kind of keep up with Felipe's air game, right? and his speed and his ability to do, you know, fin-free progressive combinations. And I think Ethan and his team would have known that, right? So I think two things. I think, as you pointed out, emphasizing the power and creating whatever degree of variation he could within that repertoire was probably the approach for this event. But it wouldn't shock me if in the offseason, he really developed more above the lip, weapons, um, just to be able to pull them out in those scenarios. I don't know. What do you think about this one, Mitch?
1: I think your answer was great. Um, it, what we saw in Brazil in the final, I don't know if you recall, there was a six there that broke combination against Jaguadora. It was a throw tail reverse towards the beach. It was a pretty high mm-hmm. risk maneuver, but it wasn't necessarily an air. But he can throw the fins around. He can bring some variation and some innovation to his platter. I'm taking my, my work hat off, though. I really need to emphasize what an inspirational performance this was, just based off of any kind of athletics, because the kid broke two vertebrae less than a month before this event started. And, um, you know, I was watching these heats, and especially, you know, I I was able to broadcast one of his heats, which was the heat against Griffin Colopinto. I was so proud of what we've come as far as terms uh, of surfers, as athletes, and as a league Mm -hmm. to be able to witness this. And to give him the platform that he deserved, I think that's why he's really the people's champ right now. But he Mm. he was proving that you don't necessarily have to have the best air game to be the most progressive surfer in the world. There Mm. was progression in a lot of these turns on rail, on the face of the wave. And I think a lot of people need to realize that the degree of difficulty, the risk in these maneuvers, and especially with the amount of power and speed that he was putting through them, the emphasis on flow from Methan Newing was really present during his finals run, and um, I was just glad to be in the presence of it, Dave. So it was really awesome to watch. Um, our last question, it might be the last question that we're going to have for the entire season. <laughs> At I. Danella D. What do you think about the format now that Carissa lost two world titles after two super dominant seasons only?
0: Hmm. I mean it's a good question. I think we kind of talked about the format from a high performance entertainment standpoint earlier, and we talked about how it's not only the last two seasons but probably all three seasons, Cur has probably surfed well beneath her potential um, in, in those kinds of conditions. Um, you know it's a tricky one. I, I think the tours and competition team working with the surfers, working with the administration, working with. All of our partners around the world and creating the very best platform to progress the best surfing possible that's that 's the business right and I think the finals has injected a really interesting uh, uh, evolution to that you know and we 've seen some amazing performances we 've talked about them kind of all podcasts is it perfect uh, i don 't necessarily think anything's perfect or anything should kind of go without analysis and conversation to say, can it be better? You know, is it, should it be done here? Should it be done there? Should we tweak this? Like, I I think the whole system should be under constant kind of conversation to get sharper. But just on the dominant season piece, this came up um, and and, um, tourism competition team kind of ran the numbers on this too, because I think a lot of folks were like, well, if there wasn't a finals, like Carissa would have won the world title again this year. That's actually not true um, because we uh, typically before the finals would drop two results from a 10 event season. Now with the finals, we're only dropping one result in the first half of the season. If we drop two results this season, it's not Carissa um, Carissa Moore who ends up on top. It's actually Tyler Wright. You know, um, so not that that's either kind of here nor there, but I just think it's important. Like, no one's going to move the goalposts after the game's already started, right? (laughs) Like, no one should anyway. Like, these are the rules. Every surfer goes in knowing, yep, first it's about surviving the mid-year cut. Then it's about making the WSL Final Five. And then it's about performing on the day. And I think that that system... Um, again, everything can continue to be improved, but I think that system is generating the best surfing we've ever seen, and and, and that's the North Star. But, Mitch, what do you think about
1: this? No, I think you're right, and uh, actually I want to reiterate about the Tyler point because if she were to make the final in Tahiti, she would have moved up to number one towards the W mm-hmm. WSL final, so it's important to clarify that out of the uh, you know, men and women, the first seeds, only Felipe would have been world champion if that previous format actually would have been installed but mm. the competition field would have changed too and i think that's what a lot of people don't understand you would have competed differently at certain events knowing mm. that you wouldn't maybe play things certain safely or taken certain risks now it's like okay i'm going to the finals let's just be calm i have a chance to win the world championship here i'm not going to take any unnecessary risks i think when it comes to the points and everything like that everybody knows what they're getting themselves into So uh, you can't afford to think that way anymore. You need to go out there and compete regardless of what the situation is. And I think for Carissa, it's just been a mental thing. She hasn't been able to overcome it. And as you mentioned, even in the first iteration against Tati, Tati was one turn away from probably becoming a world champion. I think Carissa just needs to go back, know that this format is probably here to stay for a while too. And you just need to be able to perform on a single day. If that means that you need to come into this event as the second or third seed, Go ahead and do that, too. If it means that you need to get rhythm and momentum, do that. If it feels like you're having too much of a target on your back, don't be the number one seed. Obviously, Mm. Felipe likes it. He likes being the person that everybody else is chasing.
0: It's really interesting, but great questions. We appreciate everyone that wrote in at, at the lineup pod. And as we've been saying all year, keep the comments and questions coming through. If we don't get to them on the podcast, we'll do our best to answer them in the DMs. Um, on the topic of, of fans, we do wanted to give a shout out. We we had a fantasy league for the lineup podcast this year, <laughs> and we had a lot of people uh, joined and a lot of people performed. And you know, when it came to that finals event, the Rip Curl WSL finals, Big shout-out to – got to look at this really closely – Ponick Dave, who took the big win over Rod Margs and Colopinto Beans. And since it's the finals, we'll go number four and five. Barrels and Dougie. Geez, Barrels must have been a hard <laughs> name to get. But congratulations to Ponick Dave for taking out the finals. And then, Mitch, I think you've been across the entire season. How did, how did they
1: perform? Hey, well, first of all, i got to give a shout-out to our producer – he had the name of Miggy Miggs, 251 <laughs> in the rankings during the regular season, 4,164 points. So Miguel Clemente finishing within the top 300 of the line of podcast. Not bad, Miguel. I mean, just Arch- to
0: interject, I finished 81st, but like,
1: we're Oh, now, that's pretty know, good. That's pretty good. It's, it's not a competition. <laughs> I know. It kind of sounds like it, is. <laughs> <laughs> but our regular season champion is, is none other than Yard Panther. 8,421.03 points. Huge congrats to Yard Panther. Second place to Luke Smith, 8,361. Chipper in third, 8,336. Corn Washing Guru is our number fourth place finisher. And Joao Guerra in fifth. But Yard Panther taking the win, and by just under 100 points too, Dave, that's pretty impressive, especially when you consider how close a lot of these rankings were going into Tahiti.
0: Good team names too. Uh, big big ups mm. to Yard Panther and Cornwashing Guru. Pretty good. Chipper. sure and you know luke smith good work we appreciate the honesty um well mitch man this has been so much fun um i hope we get to see each other before the start of the 2024 season i'm sure we will but really appreciate uh you coming on the podcast today and all season long appreciate everyone for playing the fantasy game and for writing in at the lineup pod and uh i'm sure we're all going to talk soon
1: Yes, sir. Thanks for everything, Dave. Appreciate you very much and what you do for the sport of professional surfing. See you at the beginning of next season. And uh, remember, we've got a couple of Challenger Series events coming up still. We still have the Longboard World Championship to be decided. So tune in for those events. You can watch everything on WorldSurfLeague.com. So that's
0: it. That's the lineups conversation with myself and Mitch Salazar. I hope you enjoyed it. Congratulations once again to Caroline Marks and Felipe Toledo for claiming the Rip Curl WSL Finals and the 2023 World Titles. Today's episode is executive produced by Jed Pearson, Tim Greenberg, and myself. Produced by Miguel Clemente and Mitch Salazar with art direction by Jason Penning and copywriting by Dan Willen. Thanks to them and thanks to our sponsors. We appreciate their support. The lineup acknowledges as recorded and produced on the ancestral lands of the Chumash, the Kumeyaay and the Tongva native people. I hope you get some waves wherever you are and we'll see you next Tuesday.